At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Morning. Morning. Those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Kurt McDonald. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the church, and it is my privilege uh, to bring to you God's Word uh, this morning. On April 3rd, 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King delivered his famous I Have Been to the Mountaintop speech. And here's what he says in the closing. We have some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter to me because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I'd like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will, and what he has allowed me to do is go up to the mountaintop. And I have looked over the mountain, and I have seen the promised land. I may not get there with you tonight, but I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And on April 4th, 1968, the very next day, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated, shot and killed as he was leaving his motel. On November 2nd, 1983, President Ronald Reagan signed a bill stating that the third Monday in January would be a national holiday to commemorate his birth. He was born January 15th, 1929. So we honor him today because he stood and called for justice and racial harmony. He called for rights for African Americans that were long overdue, rights that were being denied uh, by using uh, values that he found in a Christian worldview. He called for America to restore the dignity of black people. He called for the end of segregation. He called for the end of Jim Crow laws and all through nonviolent protest. And so here we sit today in the wake of the civil rights movement and its aftermath, and and many great leaders just like Dr. King joined in this movement. And, and, And during that time, those leaders of that movement were beaten with bats, dogs were set on them, they were sprayed with fire hoses, they were thrown in jail, some were threatened by the government, and some were shot in the streets. And because of their valiant effort, they helped America to see the injustice of her actions. And so today, there are no more white-only signs. There are no longer two waiting rooms for whites and some for blacks. Schools are no longer segregated. African Americans are no longer forced to sit in the back of the bus or to give up their seat in public transportation. Our places of work and government institutions have been integrated, and all Jim Crow laws have been overruled. But church family, that does not mean that the fight is over and we have eradicated injustice. There is still injustice that needs to be addressed. We can't sit by silently anymore. We must address injustice. For instance, why is it that the overcrowded prison system is filled with mostly black and brown people? Why? Why? Is it because white people commit less crimes? Come on, that's ridiculous. The reason is because there is injustice, that's why. 
That's why our prison system is the way that it is. Let's get real, church family. Why are so many young black men being shot in the streets by police officers at an increasingly high rate? Listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. No matter what you think about Black Lives Matter movement or what you think about Blue Lives Matter movement, it is clearly disproportionate. More young black men are killed than young white men. And what is behind the disproportion? So as we enter into these conversations, the conversation is always who is at fault in these type of shootings. And this is a conversation that we need to have. Why? Because if someone has been killed unjustly, that officer needs to be brought to justice. And if the officer was doing his job, he needs to be protected. It's both. It's both, church family. And the greater conversation that we need to be having is why is it disproportionately African-Americans that are being killed? We need to have all of those conversations. We cannot stand by silently. We must speak into these type of things. And so at this point, you might be saying, Pastor Kirk, this is way too social. This is way too political. We should not talk about race. Just preach the Bible. Just preach the gospel. Listen to me, church family. The gospel speaks directly to social, political, and racial issues. We're talking about gospel issues here. We're not just talking about political issues or just racial issues. We're talking about gospel issues, and gospel speaks directly into racial, social, and political issues. So hear me loud and clear. GCC is not a democratic church. We are not a Republican church. We are not a libertarian church. We do not stand with the left. We do not stand with the right. We stand with King Jesus, and King Jesus stands for justice. And so we stand... For justice. And so during the civil rights movement, sadly, 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 to our shame, most white evangelical church leaders did not stand with Dr. King. They were largely silent. We were largely silent. And we cannot do that anymore, church family. Here's the rub. Here's the issue. Here's the problem that I see. While the gospel addresses social, political, and racial issues, one of the biggest problems facing the church is that it cannot. The church cannot address these issues. Why? We lack credibility because the church remains largely racially segregated. So, so the gospel points the pathway forward to racial harmony. The, the gospel points the pathway forward to eradicating injustice. We have the answer, but the church is crippled in speaking this message. Why? Because our churches are segregated. We, we, the church is saying, we have a pathway forward. We know what to do. And the world is saying, no, you don't. You have no idea what you're talking about. We don't have a leg to stand on. We, we don't have a credible word. We don't have a credible witness because our churches are segregated. Listen to what Dr. King said in an interview he gave. I think it's one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies that 11 a.m. on Sunday morning is the most, if not the most, segregated hour in Christianity in America. I definitely think that churches should be integrated, and any church that stands against integration stands against the spirit and the teachings of Jesus Christ, and it fails to be a true witness. Yeah. 
It fails to be a true witness. We have no credibility, church family. We have no leg to stand on in, in speaking into these injustice issues and racial issues. We don't have a leg to stand on because our churches are segregated. This, this, is, this is an issue, church family. He said this in 1960. He was calling for churches to integrate in 1960. And here we are in 2020 and our churches are still largely segregated. Studies show that 95% of churches in America are homogenous. 95%. Meaning the majority of the congregation reflects one race. Now, I understand that some of those churches exist in towns and cities or areas that do not reflect racial diversity and population, and therefore the church itself is not going to be racially diverse. But many churches like us exist in racially diverse areas, therefore our congregation should reflect that. So, a true witness that shows the way forward to racial harmony in the world must begin in the church. I, I want to see Dr. King's uh, vision realized in our nation, but if we're going to see it realized in our nation, it must begin in the church. It must begin in gospel community church. And so this is why uh, September of last year, the elders of gospel community church uh, gave to you our vision initiative. Um, at Vision Initiative uh, is, is an a area of particular focus for the church. So we know that we want to uh, uh, know the Bible, share life, and bring hope to the world. That is the vision of Gospel Community Church. And we also narrowed down to a particular area of focus, uh, which, is, which is this. We want to be a culturally and generationally diverse church that puts the gospel on display. Okay? We will seek to be a multicultural, multi-generational church that puts the gospel on display. That is our, our vision initiative. Let me just read this to you again. I read it back in September, and I'm just going to read this to you again. We will seek to be a multicultural and multi-generational church that puts the gospel on display. A homogenous church in a diverse area will struggle to put the gospel on display. Why, you ask? Because the appearance and economics of the congregation is what unifies it, not the redemptive power of Jesus, but likes, preferences, and familiarity. On the other hand, when a congregation is diverse racially and generationally, it shows the church is not united uh, is not united under music style skin color age economic status or any other thing it shows that we are willing to put the needs and desires of others first because we already have all that we could ever desire in the gospel of Jesus Christ in the land of the suburbs where everything is designed for comfort a people willing to step into uncomfortable situations and conversations for the sake of the gospel shows a dying world the valuable how valuable the gospel really is we can no longer uh, stand aside and allow the church in the South to remain segregated. We must speak out. We must, we must have difficult conversations. We must drive. Because listen, if we just say, why don't, you know, guys, come on. Let's, let's just preach the gospel and whoever comes, comes. Th that type of thinking will never bring change. Amen. 
It's not going to bring change. Unless we are intentionally going after this, it's not going to happen. Why? Because the default position for every single person is comfortability and sameness. And so if we are not intentional about going after uncomfortable conversations, if we're not intentional about going after people that do not look like us, act like us, smell like us, talk like us, come from our economic background, if we're not intentional about going after it, it's never going to happen. The church in the South will remain just as segregated as it was back in 1960 unless we're intentional. And I want you to hear me, church family. This is not just a social political issue. Again, I'm telling you, this is a gospel issue. This is why Jesus came. He came to bring us united together in racial harmony. Jesus risked his life for it. And ultimately, Jesus died to unite races. Y'all don't believe me. I'll show you. Okay, <clears throat> Luke 4, 26. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought in. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight of the blind, to set liberty uh, those who were oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, Today the scripture is fulfilled with your hearing. And they all spoke well and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He opens up the scroll and he says all these amazing things. Captives are going to be set free. Y'all want captives to be set free? You, you want the people who are oppressed to no longer be oppressed? And the congregations, amen, yes, brother, we, we love that. They marveled at his words and what he had to say. And he sits down and says, all of this is being fulfilled. And they are very happy with that. They are very happy with, with that. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Hmm. Uh, he's, he's, he's changing direction here, if you don't, if you don't see what's coming. Uh, he, he's flipping the script a little bit. Here he goes. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel. There were many widows in Israel. Ethnic Israel. Think about that. In the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all of the land, and Elijah was sent to how many of them? None, None of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, a woman who was a widow. There was a bunch of widows in need in Israel, but God sent him elsewhere outside of ethnic Israel to be a blessing to another people group, to another ethnicity. Do you see what he's saying there? And there were many lepers in where? Israel, ethnic Israel, in the time of the prophet Elisha. And how many of them? And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Assyrian. He, there, there were lepers that needed to be healed in ethnic Israel, but instead of being a blessing to those people, he sends his prophet away from ethnic Israel to be a blessing to another ethnicity. And how do the people respond to Jesus after saying this? 
when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he, he went away. Don't you see, church family, Jesus risked his life for racial diversity and racial harmony. Not only did he risk his life for those things, he also ultimately died for those things. He died for racial harmony. You see, it was never supposed to be a mono-ethnic religion. They were supposed to be a blessing to all of the nations. But what had happened is they created a mono-ethnic, insular uh, type of community and, and, and shunned people away. Is that not what is happening in the church in the South today? Insular units, people that look like us, people that talk like us, people that are of our same political parties because it's very comfortable when you sit down at the dinner table with somebody who agrees with all of your positions. It's very uncomfortable, however, to sit down at the dinner table with someone who has a different skin color than you, uh, someone who has a different perspective on things than you, somebody who's of a different, a different political party. Oh, that, that conversation gets very uncomfortable and no one wants that. Let's forget all about that and just not do it at all. This is where we've come to, church family. What the Bible teaches is Jesus' death on the cross reconciles us to God and reconciles us to each other. There is, a, there is a vertical reconciliation. We were sinners separated from God, but because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have now been brought near to God the Father. In addition, it's not just a vertical reconciliation. It's also a horizontal reconciliation where, where he takes black people, brown people, yellow people, white people, green people, purple people, and brings them all together under one cross, under one grace message, under one faith, under one Lord, the risen King, Jesus flying that banner above all. That's what Jesus does with his death on the cross. Now, as a disclaimer, that does not mean that physical race does not matter. It, it is it, by virtue of being all of us under the banner of Jesus Christ, it is because all races are under the banner of Jesus Christ, now we can fully, completely, and wholeheartedly celebrate diversity. Yeah. Right? So, so, so don't say, oh, well, I just don't see color, you know. I, uh, when, when you come to me, brother, I don't, I don't see the color of your skin. Of course you do. Of course you do. Of course, of course we see the color of people's skin. And, and we should. And we should celebrate that. Listen, I'm excited that I'm Scotch-Irish, okay? Look, that, that's, that's why I have a red beard and a funny-shaped head. I'm Scotch-Irish. And, and I'm happy about that. And, and it's because we are under the banner of Jesus Christ, we can celebrate diversity. We can point out the different things in people's culture and celebrate the beauty of that culture. But it's only because we're united under the banner of Jesus Christ. What the church in the South needs to realize is there's actually no such thing as white church, black church, Hispanic church. There is just church. It, it doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Now you can say there's a church over there that's got a bunch of white folk in it, or there's a church over there that has a bunch of black people in it, but you can't say white church or black church. We're just united under Jesus Christ as the church. And then what we've done is we've gone in and, and, and divided it and segregated what the Lord has brought together. Sadly, to our shame, we have divided. Yeah. To our shame, we have divided it. 
Far too often, we want to unite under what is comfortable, under what is convenient, instead of only uniting in the banner of Jesus Christ. And Jesus weeps over segregated churches. If you're taking notes, Jesus prayed that we would be one. Have you read, have you read John 17? Go do that this afternoon. Go read John 17. It's called the high priestly prayer. Jesus prays for his disciples. He knows what they're about to endure as he goes to the cross. And then, then Jesus prays for you. Do you know that? He prays for us. He prays for his church. And he prays that we would be one. He says, Father, make them one as we are one. That's his prayer. (laughs) Jesus prayed that we would be one. So the response on Sunday morning cannot be racial segregation. Listen to the words of Dr. King from his famous I Have a Dream speech. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out of the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day in the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even in the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream that one day, right down in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I want to see that happen in our nation, but it must first happen in the church. It's got to happen in the church. We can't lead the way if we're not doing it. We need to lead the way, church family, to help lead our nation to a place of justice, eradicating the injustices that are so clear and blatantly staring us in the face. Here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time. As I reviewed uh, a lot of uh, Dr. King's speeches and, and, and read them and studied them this week. And um, th- this last line uh, th- that I, I have written here in, from his I Have a Dream speech, just really as, as he began, he, he says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they're not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their skin. He starts to talk about what it would look like for his daughters, his children, to live in that type of nation. And then this, this line, again, just stuck out to me so much. It says, I have a dream that one day right down in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys boys and little white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. And I, and I thought, what, what would it look like for my little girls? I have two white little girls. What would it look like for my two white little girls to grow up in a church that was diverse? What would that mean for their lives? What would that mean for my little girls? How would, it, how would it transform the way my two little girls view the world? How would it transform how my two little girls view, view God and Christianity and the cross and the gospel? How transformative would that be for them? I want that for them. Yeah. So here's what I want to do. 
I have a couple of ways that I believe if, if Dr. King's dream is realized here in this church, I believe these are the ways, just some of the ways that it's going to change my little girl's lives forever. And I just jotted those down and I want to share them with you. Can we do that? First, if Dr. King's dream is realized at Gospel Community Church, a better understanding of their true identity will emerge. I believe my two little girls will have a way better understanding of who they are if they are raised in a diverse church. They'll have a better understanding of their identity. They'll know who they are. They'll know who they are. If my daughters are surrounded by sameness in the church, then they will begin to identify with that. Don't you see? Don't you, if, if, we're, if we are all white middle class, then they assume that as their own identity. Their identity becomes a female, white, middle class American. That, that's their identity. That's who they are. And that's not who they are. That's not who they are. And so diversity opens up this gateway. It opens up this, this door where they will be able to see more fully, understand more deeply who they are in, in Christ. I don't want them to believe that who they are in Christ is white middle class. That's not who they are in Christ. That's not their primary identity. Church family, your primary identity is in Christ. It's not in your gender. It's not in your ethnicity, nor is it in your nationality. This is why Galatians 3, 28 through 29 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He eradicated it. Don't you see how powerful the cross is? Don't you see? He, he ushers in a new identity for us and gives it to us. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, again, as a disclaimer, is gender identity important? Absolutely. It absolutely is. Uh, in, in a land uh, that, that, is, that is screaming to us that you can decide your own gender identity, gender identity is decided by God. Yeah. And, and, and it's important. And again, uh, is, is your ethnicity important? Yes, it absolutely is. But it's not your primary identity. This is why Ephesians 2.15 says this, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. The, the dividing walls that are between uh, white people, black people, brown people, Asian people, uh, all of those dividing walls, Jesus, by his death on the cross, tears down all of those dividing walls and creates one new race, one new ethnicity in himself. And so now you are either in the line and lineage of our first father, Adam, uh, who led us into sin, or you are in the line and the lineage of Jesus Christ. Our new, our new Savior. Secondly, if Dr. King's dream is realized at Gospel Community Church, they, my daughters, will discover God is not a tribal deity, but a universal king. Somewhere along the way, we turned a Middle Eastern homeless man into white Jesus. <laughs> We did it. I don't know. I don't know why we did that. 
But somewhere, somewhere along the way, we baptize Jesus into Southern white middle-class culture and Jesus is none of those things. Uh, he's not Southern, uh, he's not middle-class and he's certainly not white. He is a Jewish man. But we have baptized him into that. Homogenous churches in a diverse area communicates to our children that white Jesus is for white people and black Jesus is for black people. I know it's uncomfortable in here this morning. I'm just, I'm telling you. God in his divine foreknowledge selected a people, that is the Jewish people, and he sent them uh, into the nations. To, he gave to the Jewish people the law. He gave them the commandments. Uh, they were a special people, a set apart people, but, but it was always the aim of God to be a blessing to all the nations to draw into himself all the ethnicities. And so uh, th this is why he told Abraham, you will be the father of many nations, ethnicities. Again, he's, he's not thinking about what we consider as geopolitical nations. Uh, when he says you'll be the father of many nations, what he means is you'll be the father of many ethnicities. God is going to bring all of the ethnicities, uh, all the ethnic groups to himself. This is why Isaiah 66, 23 says this, from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all Flesh, all flesh, all people groups shall come before me and worship, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 3.17. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called to the throne of the Lord and all nations shall gather to it the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem and they shall come no more stubbornly following their own evil hearts. And this is my favorite one. Daniel 7.14 says this. And to him was given, that is to Jesus, was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. God is about the nations. And when a homogenous church, when it all looks the same, you're communicating to your children that Jesus is a tribal deity. Jesus is for our tribe. He is for white middle class people. But when we break that open, when we, when we say, that's not for us, that's not where GCC is headed, and, and we, we welcome diversity, we champion diversity, we bring in people that, that don't look like us, that don't have our same skin color, that don't have our same political allegiances, what that does is it shows that Jesus is bigger than all of that. Yeah. He's a universal king, not, not a tribal deity. Third, if Dr. King's dream is realized at Gospel Community Church, they, that is, my daughters, will be more aware of the responsibility they bear for the sins of the past and how they come to bear on the present and the future. Yes, I'm talking about the sins of white people and our responsibility for them, namely slavery. Not only that, the systemic injustice that white people have participated in and stood beside and watched and taken place, and even the racism that we have not directly participated in, but stood by and said nothing and did nothing. Yeah. As a confession, I have thought this and have said it out loud. Well, I never owned slaves. Let's be real honest, church family. Let's get honest today. Let's be real. I never owned slaves. Don't you see how dismissive and ignorant that is? 
That's dismissive. And it, because, look, church family, we, uh, those of us in the room uh, who are white and Western, um, we don't have an understanding um, of, of corporate sin. We are taught that you are a beautiful individual snowflake. And, and, you, and you can make your own way and you're the master of your own destiny. And that is not the biblical understanding whatsoever. We need to understand what corporate sin is. Meaning, we are responsible, even though we did not directly take part in, we are still responsible for the sins of our fathers. L- listen, listen to what Daniel says. Listen to how Daniel prays. And, and you tell me there's no such thing as corporate sin. Listen to the way he prays. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Verse five, who sinned? We, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled and turned aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to tell the people of the Lord, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to who? Us. To us belongs open shame. At this day, the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who were near and those who were far away in the land, to whom which you have driven because of the treachery that they have committed against you. He is praying corporately, asking forgiveness corporately because of corporate sin. If you're taking notes, we cannot ignore the impact of the past on the future. We must acknowledge our responsibility and the sins of our fathers and seek to mend what was broken. The gospel ethic takes responsibility and seeks to mend what was broken, church family. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, those aren't my sins? Where would we be, church family, if Jesus, before he went to the cross, said, I didn't do that. Those aren't my sins. I don't have to take responsibility for that. I don't have to go to these hurt and broken people. I don't have to speak into those injustices because I'm not responsible for them. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't do that? Fourthly. Let me also just say this as another disclaimer. I'm not ignorant to uh, black-on-black crime. Uh, I'm not uh, uh, ignorant to uh, racism between black and brown people, but I'm a white person, and so what I am speaking into today is the issues that my community faces, okay? Uh, It's not that I don't have the right to speak into those other issues that other communities are facing. It's just that we we need to get our our business fixed first, okay? Number four, if Dr. King's dream is realized at Gospel Community Church, they might, I want them to see this. I want my two little girls to see this. If Dr. King's dream is realized at Gospel Community Church, they will see what the blood of Jesus has purchased. They'll see it. They'll see it on Sunday morning when they come in the doors and they see faces that are not the same color as theirs. They'll see what the blood of Jesus has bought. Yeah. It's, it's such a small picture. It's, a, it's an incomplete picture when, it, when it's all the same faces. 
that they won't see the fullness, the majesty, the mighty, the beauty, the glory of everything that the cross has accomplished. They only see one little small picture. I want them to see, I want them to see Revelation 5, 9 through 10. I want them to see Revelation 5, 9 through 10 as they come to church on Sunday morning, as they go back in gospel kids. I want them to see Revelation 5, 9 through 10. And they sang a new song, singing, Worthy are you to take out the scroll and open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people of God from every tribe, every language, and every people of every nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to God and they shall reign on the earth. I want them to see Revelation 5. That's what I want for my little girls. I want Dr. King's dream to become a reality in their life so that they'll see that. What did his blood purchase? His blood purchased the kaleidoscope of ethnicities. Uh, Jesus's blood purchased aboriginal tribes from Australia, people from North Africa, people from the UK, people from China, uh, Korean people, Vietnamese people, Panamanian people, uh, uh, Scotch-Irish people, Native Americans. That's how powerful his blood is. He can purchase people from every tribe, every tongue, every language. This is not a social political issue. This is a blood issue. This is a blood issue. This is a blood issue. It's what Jesus has purchased. Because when they see that, when they see the power in Jesus' blood, they will worship him all the more. And that's what I want for my little girls. Lastly, if Dr. King's dream is realized at Gospel Community Church, they belong for heaven. They'll want it. They'll long for it. They will live in such a way, heaven bound. I want my daughters to live heaven bound. I want my little girls to, to live as sojourners on the way to the, the great city, the great celestial city. I want my little girls to live with the vision of the new heaven and the new earth coming down with Jesus ruling and reigning finally, fully, and completely as king over all. I want them to live that way. And in a homogenous, same church, they won't get the fullness of that vision. They won't get the fullness of that vision. They won't get the fullness of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language gathered together at the throne of the Lamb singing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy. They won't get that picture in a homogenous church. It, it, it says so in Revelation 7, 9 through 10. Y'all aren't as excited as you should be. And after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Did you see that? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, when, when you get your resurrected body, you maintain your ethnicity because Jesus... Jesus loves the kaleidoscope of what he has created. And so we worship him in our own ethnicities, and our own languages, but united and one under him, all clothed in white, singing, salvation belongs to the Lord. And I want my daughters to see that. I want them to see that. Don't you want that for your kids? I want it for them. I want their minds to be opened up. I want them to see that picture. And you know, more than that, or just as much as that, maybe, I want that too. Yeah. I want it for them, but I want it for me too. Yeah. I want to come in here. I, I want to see a diverse people worshiping the Lamb. 
I want that to ignite in my own heart a longing for heaven, a longing to see the new heaven and new earth come. I want that in my own heart. And I want that in your heart too. And so we must strive, church family. This is not going to just happen. It's not going to just happen. We have to get uncomfortable. We have to have conversations. We have to step outside of our lane. We have to get outside. We, we might offend people. But if my, if my options are stay quiet and comfortable and in this lane and be disobedient to the Lord or step outside of my comfort zone and potentially offend yet be obedient to the Lord, I choose obedience to the Lord. And I, and I hope that you will do the same. As a pathway forward, jot this down. There is racial harmony in Jesus' victory. Racial harmony is in Jesus' victory. Racial harmony is in Jesus' victory. How in the world are we going to get people from different political standpoints, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds? How are we going to get all those people together? We get them together. The pathway forward is through Jesus' victory. Yes, he was mocked. Yes, he was beaten. Yes, he was arrested. Yes, he was falsely tried. Yes, they scourged him. Yes, they hung him on a cross. But he didn't stay there. He, they put him in a grave, but he didn't stay there. He got up out of the grave. He resurrected with a resurrection body. He ascended into heaven where he is seated, ruling and reigning, defeating Satan, defeating sin, defeating death. Jesus is victorious, and there is unity. There is harmony in the victory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, that you would bring unity, that you'd bring harmony, racial diversity within gospel community church. Lord, we cannot lead our city. We cannot lead our town, our state, our nation. We cannot lead because we are in a place where we lack credibility. And so bring credibility to your great name and your great gospel by diversifying gospel community church. Lord, if we need to crucify our, our political positions, may we crucify them. If we need to, to crucify our, our worship style, may we crucify it. If we need to, to, to crucify our order of worship, let us crucify it in the name of your great gospel, which unites, which unites, which brings racial unity and harmony. May that be so in Gospel Community Church. May you do this great and mighty work in us. We cannot do it alone. We cannot do it alone. We cannot do it without you. Send your Holy Spirit in a mighty and a powerful way to sweep over this congregation, even right now, Lord, as I pray. Send your Spirit to sweep over this congregation, giving us passion, giving us passion for racial diversity and racial harmony. I pray and ask all these things in the mighty and the powerful name. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.